welcome to Flyers AD here on Brotherly Pod. It is Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021, here. And a little pregame show on the Flyers. Uh, play tonight and tomorrow. Mercifully. <laughs> they're, uh, they're a Florida road trip, which is never pretty. Somebody put the numbers on Twitter the other day. I forget what the hell they were. It was like 8 and 15 and 8, 15 and 7 or something on these road trips over the last few years. Not great. Uh, you know, obviously two yeah. of the better teams in the league right now. So going to be a tough one, but there is plenty to talk about right now. Injuries, call-ups, or lack thereof, and uh, some potential hot seat stuff for the coach. So as always, Anthony's back to help me. Anthony, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing well, man. Uh, you know, kind of nervously anticipating these games coming up specifically the three this week because it feels like after this week post thanksgiving which oftentimes is considered like the barometer time of year as to where teams are moving into the season we know what what they are and it's almost poetic that the flyers find themselves still hovering just above 500 and now have to run the gauntlet against three of the best teams in the NHL, or in the Eastern Conference at least. And to your point, two of those three teams on the road historically have not been great on those road trips down to Florida. So it really feels that one way or another, everything's going to kind of come to a head this time next week. I saw something on Twitter, and I don't remember who it was for life me, but it was some analytics guy, you know, assigned values to all of the... Uh, teams as far as competition went. And I believe the Flyers have had, it was either the toughest or the second toughest schedule thus far in the season. And that almost kind of put my mind at ease a little bit because they're 8-4-3 through this part of the year, which isn't great, but it's not bad, all things considered. You know, we can, you know, the the the, the more in-depth you go and break down this team, the worse it kind of looks. But from an overall perspective, 8-4-3 through their games thus far have not been terrible and you know this week is not going to be easy uh, obviously with Tampa Florida and Carolina you know the arguably three best teams in the league but after this it does kind of slow down a little bit you got Jersey three times in the next three weeks Islanders Rangers you know you do have uh, Arizona again Ottawa Montreal some easier games coming up here on the schedule so if they can survive this week by surviving me not going 0-3 you know, racking up at least a few points to get out of this road trip and keeping their head above water here. I do think overall there are some positives to take away from the first, you know, quarter of this season. Yeah, well, to be honest, for me, it's only really kind of been alarming the last six games or so since the Washington game, because I felt like the Washington game, which was about two and a half weeks ago at this point, was a pretty big statement victory for the Flyers. But it's been since then where, you know, you have that loss to Toronto that was ugly. Then you beat Carolina, but you do it on the back of Carter Hart. And then Dallas was another ugly outing. And then you have Calgary, which they won, and then Tampa and Boston. So for me, it's been like this stretch where they've gone two, three, and one, where I've been like, damn, against these top tier teams, they're really struggling. But before that, right up until the Washington game, I thought that they were playing pretty darn well, and I didn't have as many qualms with it. But the problem is, is that there were some still some underlying issues, even when they were as a whole playing better. 
But now since they've been playing these better teams and the the losses have gotten uglier and uglier, you started to see cracks a bit. Like I think that Provorov and Braun's game have slipped a bit. Yandel and Sealer have kind of fallen off of a cliff. And then offensively, anyone other than Claude Giroux could be a ghost on any given night. Like I think a guy who has really kind of been magnified recently has been Sean Couturier, a guy who their own general manager has said is their best player, is their best forward, is their number one center. And he's really been one of the most disappointing forwards this season. You have guys like, you know, Joel Farabee and Oscar Lindblom and more so Oscar Lindblom or more so Joel Farabee rather because he is a guy that's constantly playing in the top six with Katori, with guys like Atkinson who are really struggling to put goals up. You know, ditto for James Van Riemsdyk. I think Konechny and Cam Atkinson, I mean, they are streaky, but those two have been lesser, I guess, problems because they are kind of what they are. And I do feel like Konechny has kind of been shafted a bit in terms of the line combinations. But yeah, all in all, I mean, they are still hovering above 500. They're still kind of right in the playoff mix. But, you know, you would hope that with an easier schedule that it will kind of balance out a bit. But that being said, it is kind of still of a concern that they're struggling as much as they are against the top tier teams. Konechny, in the last 10 games, Konechny, two goals, one assist. JVR, one goal, two assists. Farabee, one goal, zero assists. Atkinson, one goal, two assists. Lindblom has zero points. Lawton has two goals and an assist, and Kutz has two goals and two assists. And Couturier specifically, there was that one game, and I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head, where he was he was fine through the beginning. There's that one game where he looked like absolute shit. And he just has never been the same since. I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head, but I assume he's hurt at this point. Uh, there's got to be something else going on here with Katuri other than just, you know, he's old and broken down, which, let's put it this way, it fucking better not be that just yet because he just signed the fucker for the rest of time at this point. So, you know, it's just not great. The power play, 3 for 34 in that stretch. I believe they're something crazy, 8 for 51 on the season, 52, something like that. Holy shit! Just, uh, just the the overall lack of offense from anyone not named Claude Giroux is just fucking pathetic at this point. And you know Hayes ended up back on the injured list after coming back for a game and a half before getting hurt. Um, has theoretically opened up a hole at center, and there's one guy by the name of Morgan Frost who is you know chomping at the bit to get called up, and they haven't yet. And it's weird. Because he's a center and he's a potential offensive producer, which last time I checked fills uh, two pretty big holes the Flyers are lacking right now. So the fact that he's still in the AHL is uh, is a bit interesting. Yeah, that one is kind of perplexing to me. And look, we're no, you know, Morgan Frost apologists here, but we're also realistic and objective. And I just don't understand how at this point a guy like Morgan Frost isn't worth even a look. And I I can imagine that it's some, like, organization-wide conspiracy theory that they're, like, keeping him down and everything. But, I mean, you've seen him firsthand. Are there parts of his game that would worry you at the NHL level? You know, we touched upon this on on Flyerside Chat last night, and and I'm kind of glad we did because we got into things that I was kind of noticing a little bit. And... I actually haven't had too many qualms with Frost's overall game in Lehigh. 
Um, you know, the problem with Frost is, like, people build this guy up so hard. He's Claude Giroux Jr., and he's not. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a truly elite offensive scorer in this game. He, that's just not what he is. But the best chance this guy has to succeed would be to call him up and use him properly. If you call him up and put him on the top line centering Giroux and Atkinson, like, that's his best chance to succeed. If you call him up and you put him on the third line with Lindblom and JVR just to say you have him up, you're going to ruin the fucking guy. And it may not be an organization-wide conspiracy, but I do think there's an interesting aspect that, that, again, we touched upon last night. And I wonder if Chuck Fletcher sees more value in Morgan Frost as a trade chip than he does an NHL caliber forward. And thus, you keep him in the AHL to keep the mystique around him. Because if you call him up and he sucks, you have to assume that his trade value at least takes a bit of a ding. If you keep him in the AHL and fresh from the NHL and he doesn't play and you can't say, well, he's got all this potential, look what he's doing in the AHL, his trade value is higher. So, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the conspiracy theory, but I do think that's an interesting scope of all of this because it makes that <laughs> makes the most sense as to why Frost isn't up right now, just given the injury and lack of offense. Because otherwise, he should be up at least trying to contribute to this team. It would make sense, and I hadn't thought about that. But I do think that they maybe have a thought process of, well, he's done this before, impressed, and you know, shined outside the NHL, and then when he gets called up. He just looks kind of not pedestrian, but just like another guy in the crowd. Yeah. And I mean, if that's your ace in the hole, then I mean, I don't think you're going anywhere. Like, uh, like at this point, do you think if let's say even if they called him up as a winger, he could hang in the NHL and be like a decent middle six guy? Yeah, I, I, I don't think he would look more out of place than anybody else does right now. I think he's worked on his two-way game well enough that he could be respectable in that role. Um, you know, again, you don't put him on the third line with Lindblom in JVR because then you're just going to, you know, you're, you're absolutely hampering him in that role. If you call him up and put him in a role where he can succeed offensively and doesn't necessarily have to, you know, if you can deploy Sean Couturier in the defensively favorable minutes and Frost in the offensively favorable minutes and give him the quality line mates, you know, the top scorers on the team, like, that's the best way to utilize Frost right now. And even if it was on the wing, if you want to go Giroux Couturier Frost, like, fuck, that's just as fine right now, you know? just uh, You can call this guy up and use him in ways that can mask his faults. And, you know, deploying him in a middle six center with the, you know, inopportune line mates just wouldn't be the way to do that. And I, your theory about wanting to keep him in the AHL so he's still playing very well and that he's, you know, has that mystique around him is a pretty good one because the thing is, is that is him being called up the difference between this team becoming an upper echelon team and not? No. I would argue no. But, like, if you could parlay him into bringing someone in that might be the thought process as you alluded to but then the other issue is is just like how long are you going to tread water barely at the nhl level to try and have a team bite on morgan frost that's the other thing is that there's kind of like a balancing act that you have to go with here and in my opinion I just don't know if they can wait any longer. Like, I know they're trying desperately to tread water here, 
but I just don't know how long. And I and I guess like we open the show with this this three game stretch here this week is going to kind of be telling of that. Like I think by the weekend, Saturday, Sunday night, like we will have a good indication as to where this team is heading. But I think that not that Morgan Frost is the linchpin to like as to where they're going to go with it, but he has been a polarizing player in the organization because to your point, there's a segment of the fan base that wants him called up. And then there's also another segment that wants him traded for something that could help. But either way, it seems like everything to improve this team is somewhat going through Morgan Frost. Like for you, do you think that it's good to keep him in the AHL to try and boost his trade value? Do you think that they're, they have too many pressing needs at the NHL level that you just have to bring him up and then, you know, deal with the repercussions later? Like what's the best move right now in your opinion? Uh, listen, I get it that you want to keep him in the uh, they, they they want to keep him in the AHL and, and even if it's just specifically recovery and there's no ulterior motive here, you know because he did miss all of last season. I get it, you know, but it's been 15 games and he's been relatively successful on a piss poor Phantoms team, you know. The fact that he's succeeding offensively down there at least lends to a little bit of credibility that he could be helpful offensively with the Flyers who are in, you know, just as shitty of a situation. He's your last bullet in the chamber from an in-house option for the Flyers to try and salvage some of this offense. He's the last face, you know, you've got nobody else, you know, and everyone else you do have is fucking hurt right now. <laughs> you can't even try and call him Forster because he's done for this season. You know, you, you Frost is the guy that you have, and... and you know, that's, I think that's why this, you know, trade ship thing at least kind of makes sense is why the fuck else are you not call it? Like, he's a center and he scores. He can produce offense. He's a playmaker. Why is he not up on a team with zero center depth that isn't scoring? You know, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. So, you know, it is odd from that as well as you pointed out. If you keep him down there for another, you know, four or five months until the trade deadline rolls around... Is that not a, you know, is that just as damaging as calling him up and having him suck? Because why the fuck would you not call him up when your team sucks so bad? Like, I just, I, you're in such a weird spot with this guy right now. And, you know, I at least give him a chance, right? Like, it, it, that feels like the next logical step here. You should have been on this road trip and you should have given him a chance. I, I just, I cannot fathom why Morgan Frost is not in the NHL right now. But at this point, watching the NHL product, and I'm saying is that these guys can't fucking score. <laughs> is in the AHL scoring or helping his team score? Is he not scoring a point per game right now? I believe he's at a point per game or just shot approximately. Point per game. Yeah. And like you said, like could it be like honestly, like it's just and look, I'm not gonna take shots at guys like Derek Broussard and Scott Lawton. Like fuck, they're doing more than they ever could have been asked to here. Three you know, goals Broussard, and fifteen for all points and purposes games. is the for who? Morgan Frost. Three goals and fifteen for... points in sixteen games. Shit, that's fucking good. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like. You know, a guy like Derek Broussard, like, I love what he's done, and I think he's exceeded expectations, but he's you're playing essentially on your first scoring line. Yeah. <laughs> he was playing on the first power play unit. Then you have a guy like Scott Lawton, who I love Scott Lawton, 
said numerous times that if he's in the top nine, he'll play a winger. And then you have a guy like Sean Couturier, who's just really doing a whole lot of nothing on the offensive side of the puck. Like you said, like, what's there to lose at this point? And I put out a tweet yesterday that you have two options, is that you either give him a serious look at center, that being Frost, or go out and trade for a guy. But honestly, in reality, both may end up having to become true. Like, if Kevin Hayes is out for the long haul here, but I don't think only giving Morgan Frost a look at center is going to help this team. And conversely, barring a trade for a guy like Hurdle or Dylan Larkin or an, 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 an extreme long shot like a guy like Elias Pedersen, although I don't think that's going to happen, but... If you go out and bring in, let's say, like a Dylan Strom, I don't think just simply adding Dylan Strom and then going with like Strom and Lawton as your 2-3-C is going to move the needle all that much. You would still have to give Frost a serious look. Because the thing is, is that you have no offense coming from anyone other than Claude Giroux on, an, on a consistent basis here. And for you to really cause a big trickle-down effect to get everyone going in one fell swoop of a move... It will. It would be adding a guy like Hurdle or Larkin. And at this point in the season, I think the only way that you're going to get one of those two guys is if you pay out the nose. And I guess that's another thing I would ask you. A lot of people have been like, no, you can't make moves at this time because you're going to have to overpay severely. And I agree with that. But for you, let's say they give Morgan Frost a look and two or three weeks from now, it's still not moving the needle. Do you think that it's getting to a point where they just have to make a trade like that, even if they have to overpay. The thing with that is, and, and you know, you asked for questions on Twitter uh, beforehand and somebody said, I heard on 32 thoughts, the Canucks are shopping players around any possibility uh, we could pick up anyone from the Canucks to fix our scoring problems. And that would be the team right now. Like I, I know you're hell bent on Larkin or hurdle and those would be the best options, but the Red Wings and Sharks are in the playoff picture in their respective division right now. And it's why big players don't get traded in November, because you still have that chance to make a run. So you could try to put a package together for Yeiserman for Larkin, but it would have to be so ridiculously stupid that it wouldn't that would probably hurt the Flyers more than it would help them. Trying to cash in on somebody like the Canucks, who are in complete meltdown mode and Jim Benning's seat couldn't be any hotter if it was on fucking fire. Like, that's the team that if you want to try and pry a Brock Besser or JT Miller or something like that out of there, that would be the way to do it. Is a team like yeah. that that's a little more desperate, you know. Um, uh, that that would be your only hope for a big, true blockbuster trade here in late November. That's a good point, and JT Miller is an interesting case. The only thing that kind of worries me about Miller is that he seems like another guy that kind of is more ideally of a winger at this point. He is playing center right now. I believe he's playing 2C for them, but he is a guy that I think typically has his best years when he's on the wing. Don't quote me on that. It's just a hunch. Probably. But, I mean, he but he is a shooter, if I'm not mistaken. At this I'm point, mistaken. I'm not overly per, uh, picky with position they're playing. If you can just find somebody <laughs> that can produce offense, whether a winger or center, I'll fucking take it right now. So, like, for you, like, at this point, do you care if it's a winger or a center, or do you want the guy to at least be a capable center if need be? A center would be ideal. If you can find a scoring center... That would be great. But at this point in time, if you can find 
a top winger and get them relatively uh, cheap or respectable price and bring them in. Like, you really can't be too picky with their with their offensive production because somebody's going to be producing fucking offense at this point, which nobody on this current roster is. That's a good point. You know, well, like, look, JT Miller's first year in Vancouver in 69 games, he scored 27 goals and 72 points. Last year, he got 15 goals and 46 points in 53 games. And then this season, he's at a point per game. So, I mean, he's a guy that's surely going to provide you offense 100 percent. And then I guess the next question is, what are you giving up for him? Now, obviously, a guy like uh, JT Miller is not going to cost you nearly the same as a guy like Hurdle or Larkin would. But I can I don't think that the Canucks are in a position based on like the moves that they've made in the offseason, you know, like going out and trading for Oliver Ekman Larson, who still has, you know, five or six years left on his um, on his contract or, you know, trading and subsequently signing Connor Garland to a five year deal worth a shade under five million dollars. Like, I would assume that they would be more apt to make like a hockey trade as opposed to picks and prospects. So, like, for you, if it was, like, I mean, I guess this is kind of like a layup for you, but if it's, like, Travis Konechny for JT Miller In a fucking heartbeat. And it's, I guess it's weird because Konechny, for me, hasn't really been in the line of fire. But Isn't he's Konechny, just like, like, second cousins with Bo Horvat or something? Shit, I didn't know that, but something it makes sense. I, I guess, like, Konechny, and I guess we could touch a bit about Konechny as well. Like, I hate Travis Konechny. You hate him? 100%. I hate him. <laughs> Is he on the same hate list as, uh, let's say, Travis Sanheim? It's Sanheim, JVR, Konechny right now. Uh, oh, JVR's back up there? I just, I don't know. I, I'm pretty indifferent to JVR right now, but, like, I'll, I'll always hate him. There's that deep, burning passion within me that fucking hates JVR. Hell, I'm not you know even mad at Sanheim, to be honest, right now. He's been pretty... Maybe Konechny is number one at the moment. You see, JVR for me, I haven't, like, the thing with JVR is that if he was making, like, $3 million, I would love him. He'd be him. perfect, yeah. But he's making $7 million. Yeah. And, like, when I look, like, okay, this is another thing that I've come through. And we could piggyback off the JT Miller conversation because that's kind of like a player that seems more realistic than a Larkin or a Hurdle for obvious reasons. You mapped it out really well there. But if it takes sacrificing a lot of money on the wing, which the Flyers have an abundance of, like you have Konechny, Atkinson, Van Riemsdyk, all making five and a half or more million dollars. Then you have a guy like, you know, Oscar Lindblom making $3 million, Scott Lawton, whether he's a center or wing, whatever, making $3 million. Would you feel comfortable in sacrificing a lot of these quote-unquote talent on the wing to invest all into the center ice position. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I think Konechny would be your top trade uh, player at this point if you're looking for a hockey trade. Um, you know, JVR, I don't know if anybody's going to take on that contract, but $7 million for him for one more year, by the way, uh, you know, is not great either. You're going to have – my guess is whether this happens during the season or in the off season. I would assume that JVR and Konechny are probably your two prime targets as a way to shed some cap space um, in various trades or just shedding cap space for the sake of shedding cap space. And I would assume Lawton is probably uh, right there with them at this point because, I mean, that's where the money's going to come from. If you need some cap space this year, it's Konechny, 
JVR and Sanheim, what I would assume be your big three as far as, you know, trying to salvage every dollar you can from this current team. And I don't think Sanheim's an option right now, just because not he's right too now. Important. Hell no. Like I mean, I I think we could all agree that the Flyers still their two most important defensemen right now are Provorov and Braun. But in terms of succeeding at their specific roles, I think Ristolainen and Sanheim have really knocked it out of the park here. So the defense you really can't touch in any way. If anything, you need to add a guy. But. Mike Asito uh, had a good question is that he brings up, you know, that the Flyers need kind of like a true offensive weapon. And while keeping Katori and Hayes due to their no movement clauses. So he his question is, would it not make sense to give in the lack of offensive threat their centers present long term? Would you invest in another true one? C? even though you're already investing close to $15 million in two other centers. And for me, I look around the NHL a lot, and let's say you added another centerman for even $8 million. Let's say if you added, you know, you signed Hurdle in free agency, or you had to trade for Larkin and then extend him, or you had another guy you had to extend for $7 million, and you were paying, let's say, in and around $23 million a year for your top three centers. I don't think that's as far-fetched or as egregious as many think because, you know, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and they're paying, you know, $22.5 million for just their top two centers. And then you add in their third guy and then they're paying close to $25 million. You know, with the with the Edmonton Oilers, you know, you have Dreisaitl, McDavid, R&H. Like, obviously, one of those guys is always playing the wing, but that still is a almost $30 million in three centermen. And then if you take into consideration their 3C, Derek Ryan, and what he's making, then it really pushes them up the ladder even more. So for me, the Flyers have taken the approach of spending a lot of money and investing on talent on the wings for far too long, and it's gotten them nowhere. So if you have to, let's say, in the future, lose guys like, JVR or Konechny or even a Farabee if it takes that to really solidify that center ice position and then plug in I guess lesser wingers along the way like let's say a Lawton or an Allison or call up a I don't know like Tyson Forster next season I think that's something that you at least explore because you've tried the alternative for a long time and it hasn't worked what about you I mean you're almost at a point where you have no chance and I think the team didn't address the center role for a long time because there was always the next best thing coming up at the Ron Hextall draft, right? It was Nolan Patrick, and then it was Morgan Frost and German Rubsov and all this horse shit that nobody ended up <laughs> developing, right? So, you know, they, they were always hoping for that fucking golden carrot to come in and save the day, and ultimately that never happened. And then you, you know, Kevin Hayes, when he's healthy, is a very good hockey player. Unfortunately, you signed him for a ridiculous contract. You know, he's still got four more years left at 7.1 mil. Sean Couturier's new deal, which I fucking hate, kicks in at 7.7 mil next year till, you know, the fucking end of mankind. It's just, you almost have no choice but to invest that kind of money, if not more, in another center. And quite frankly, presuming Hayes and Couturier are at full health at some point, Having a 1-2-3 punch down the middle of, say, Hurdle, Hayes, and Couturier, that's not bad at all. That's pretty goddamn good. It's just a matter of the fact that 
you gotta shed some money on the wings, and you gotta fucking get Hayes and Gutierrez uninjured at the same time on the same roster, which has been, you know, pretty fucking difficult over the last, uh, you know, couple years since Hayes showed up. And that's the thing, is that as much as people don't want to acknowledge it or admit it, is that Fletcher is still just still trying to salvage the Ron Hextall plan. Yes. Yep. That, that's what he's still doing. And in a lot of ways, he's still trying to salvage a bit of the Paul Holmgren plan because you still have Giroux and Couturier as the two best forwards on this team. And I know a lot of people are saying that, you know, you know, this team isn't even close. Why would you make a big move to add another player and sacrifice some of the youth? And I get that. And I've maintained that in an ideal world, the best course of action last summer would have probably just been gutting the whole fucking thing and starting again from scratch. But clearly, that's not an option. And Fletcher made win-now moves by bringing in bringing in a guy like Ellis, bringing in Ristolainen, even kind of making a move like bringing in Atkinson, although that's kind of a lateral move uh, and more of a cap space type of acquisition. Like, they're clearly not trying to look to the future. And at this point, I'm not going to blame them, but they made this team older quite significantly if i'm not mistaken yes and i don't care if you make the team older but then you have to try and win and if you're trying to win i'm not going to give a shit that joel farabee is going to be a good 60 point winger in two years from now i'm not going to give a shit that morgan frost is going to be a solid 50 to 60 point centerman you know uh, three years from now you can't start keep thinking like that when you're so pressed for time because and a lot of people rightfully point out that yeah you can make a move for even a jt miller or a hurdle or a larkin but the window is still so short and i agree but that's the situation them fight they find themselves in there is no way that you can try and reconstruct this roster as is to prolong the window to like five to six years, like an ideal, you know, rebuild should result in like the, like, let's say the Edmonton Oilers now, or the Toronto Maple Leafs theoretically, or what we saw with the Penguins and Blackhawks and those types of teams or the Bruins. Like, unfortunately the rebuild was botched by Hextall. And by the time Fletcher came in, he was already fighting upstream. Yeah. And look, I like the moves that he made in the summer in the vacuum, but all it proved is that they are still a ways away. And obviously, Hayes and Ellis being hurt have made it a, an incredibly tough time, even more so than it should have been. But this is the situation you find yourself in. And a lot of teams deal with injuries each and every year, so you can't lean on that excuse. But my argument is, is that it's not working as is, and you have to find a way to make it work. You have no choice. You can't kick the can to next year. You know, this is a cliche, but there is no tomorrow with this group. There's a good chance that you go into next season and you're even worse than this year. This roster is not going to age well, aside from, let's say, a Provorov and Carter Hart on defense and maybe a couple of middle six wingers. But guys like Giroux, guys like Ellis, guys like Couturier, guys like Atkinson, guys like Hayes, they're only going to get worse over time. They've already peaked. So I don't get this argument of like, oh, well, you can't give up him. He's going to be a good player. Bullshit. Sorry. Doesn't matter. 
If Joel Farabee's your best player on your roster, which is if you stay this course of action in two years, that might be the case that he's your best forward. You're not going to win anything with a guy like Joel Farabee as your best forward on the team. Just like you're not going to win anything with a 33-year-old Claude Giroux as your best forward. So in my opinion, I know it's not ideal, but you just have to make it work in the short term. The the thing with this whole thing, and you mentioned the Hextall rebuild, and that's when it all started is you never did a proper tear down and rebuild. You kept Giroux, you kept Voracek, you kept Simmons, you kept Shen for the first three years. Like, if you sold all those guys off when they were in their fucking primes in 2014 and 2015, and you got first round picks coming out your asshole... You could have properly rebuilt this team, but Ron Hextall walked the line of keeping one foot in the, we're going to be a bubble team, and one foot in the, we're rebuilding team. And you walked that line through all the way up to when Fletcher took over. And Fletcher leaned just far enough in the, we're going to compete, you know, team where, where you have no choice but to continue to compete. And the thing is, like, the Flyers are not the Red Wings. They're not, you know overflowing with talented prospects. You got maybe five people in your system right now. Morgan Frost, Tyson Forrester, York, Zamula, and maybe Desnoyers that are worth a shit right now. And that is it, okay? You don't have prospects that are intense. And, you know, your NHL guys, Konechny's been around forever at this point. He was, what, fifth or sixth season? And, you know, Farabee, I, I think, is a very good trade ship. But, you know, what is he ultimately going to be is the question right now because he's in a sophomore slump. Like, you are committed to winning right now. And there are so many people that are terrified at the idea of making trades and improving your roster because, oh, I don't want to give up this player. I don't want to give up this, this draft pick. We can't do it. But the reality of this situation is you have leaned way too far into the we got to compete right fucking now to yep. go back. You know, like you mentioned, this last offseason was the time when you either tear it down or you'd go for it. And Fletcher went for it. And this is the thing, and we got a, a, a Chuck Fletcher question that you asked for, and like, I think he's done very well, and the ultimate issue is, is especially in the flat cap era, and how bad this team was last year, there's only so much he could have done, you know, and he did a whole hell of a lot, but you can't go from worst season in franchise history to Stanley Cup contender in one year. Hell, even when Holmgren took over in 07, it took him two, two or three years before he truly had that team, you know, firing all cylinders. Way to be professional. Sorry. <laughs> I'm fucking horrible with that shit. But uh, Steve's question, uh, if Chuck Fletcher isn't able to make a trade in the next few weeks to stabilize the team, how well do you think the Flyers play, and is it enough to keep A.V. off the hot seat? I understand the roster limitations, but I feel like A.V. hasn't done much to help the group out. Now, let me rant and rave about this A.V. fellow for a minute. Uh. I put a piece out yesterday, the pros and cons of firing him, and, and there are a lot of people starting to get back on the fire AV bandwagon. And I don't really get it. And oh, listen, I'm not even going to defend AV at this point. Cause I don't think he has a whole lot going for him in terms of defense. But when it comes down to firing him, I always ask, what's the next step? What do you do after you fire Vigneault? You know, the list of coaches isn't exactly impressive. You know, do you go after Bruce Boudreaux? Do you go after Mike Babcock, John Tortorella? If you're lucky, maybe Rick Tockett or Claude Julien. But I'm not a betting man, but dollars to fucking donuts, the next head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers is Mike Yao. 
at least on an interim basis if they fire Evie during the season. And does anybody really yeah. want that? Is that a legitimate improvement over Alivio? You know, maybe you find somebody that can run a power play a little better and you squeeze a few extra goals out. But ultimately, if you fire the coach right now, does it solve any problems on this team? You can fire the coach. You can fire Avi. I don't give a shit. But you still don't have any center depth. You have an injury-riddled roster. And your forwards are an underwhelming group of shitheads. (laughs) That doesn't change anything. You may uh, you may come up with a scheme that can pot a few more goals, but the biggest issues are still here. So you can fire AV. I don't really care at this point. But just a word of warning, like, the grass is not always greener on the other side. And firing AV just doesn't seem like it's going to solve any legitimate problems as much as it does you just calm the frustrations of the fan base, you give the ball to the next guy, you know, who has two months at this point before people turn on him because he he didn't actually fix anything by bringing in a new coach. So, I don't know. I, I really dislike the idea of firing Vigneault, not to defend Vigneault, but more because you don't have a solid plan after Vigneault. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, I'm not going to defend Alain Vigneault, and I've kind of gotten the sense, based on people that I've spoken to around the organization that him and Terry kind of come in like a package. Yes. And if that's the sword that you're willing to fall on, then you know what? Good riddance, LA. You know, just, you know, <laughs> call a spade a spade. But to your point, I don't think, like when I really call for a coach being fired, it's because I think that the team is not playing up to their expectations and they should be better. That's typically when I get an itch to fire the coach. And as much as there have been problems with the system, like the power play, I think that like the way the attack is kind of like, you know, one guy goes in on the four check, it's always a dump and chase. But I'm saying like, I look at the roster, let's say last game against Boston. And I'm saying to myself, like, should this team be scoring more? Honestly, like, should they be scoring more than they are when you have Broussard and Lawton as your two three Cs? Like, should the defense be playing even better when you have Justin Braun on your top pair and Yandel and Sealer as your third pair? And that's what I always come back to is that I don't think another coach is going to make a difference. Like, you could have Cooper behind the bench with yeah. Laviolette and Trotz beside him. And maybe, like you said, you'll get a new coach bump. Maybe you squeak into the playoffs. But, I mean, I just don't think that that's going to be the difference here. Like, I always bring this up, but, like, when they fired John Stevens in favor of Peter LaViolette, that was a team that was supposed to win the Cup. That was a team that every analyst and pundit had in the Cup final that year against the Chicago Blackhawks. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. But... It's just it doesn't scream to me like a team that's being pulled down by coaching. Do I think that the coaching has been, you know, mediocre to bad at times? Yeah, I do. Do I think that AV has done more harm than good? I'm not sure, but I do think the whole Terry thing is kind of a polarizing conversation because, you know, will he actually go down with Terry if it comes to that? So, like, you could fire the coach. I really couldn't give a shit. Like, I'm not a huge LAVO fan, but if it's just going to be fire AV along with Terry, put Mike Yo as head coach, is it really going to change anything? Exactly. Doesn't It doesn't solve any of 
the actual problems. And, you know, it, it would just be to appease the fan base. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. I, I, I don't, this doesn't feel like a team that's on the brink of a coaching change. If shit falls apart over the next month or so, and they start losing games pretty badly, maybe that's something that kind of rises to the surface. But right now, I think it's just a very angry fan base that is taking their frustrations out on Vigneault rather than taking them out on the players that they love oh so much. And, like, look, I'm not going to sit here and defend Alain Vigneault. Like, the process has been garbage going back to last season. But the thing is, is that I just, like, like I said before, like, when you look at this roster what are you realistically expecting from it? Like, even the power play. Oh, this power play should be better with the weapons they have. Really? <laughs> should it? Honestly? Like, I'm sorry. Like, Sean Couturier should not be on the first power play unit. No. You know, I would even argue that when he is playing at his best. Like, but they almost feel obliged to put him there. Like, Travis Konechny has never been a good power play forward. Ever. Like, okay, JVR, net front guy, sure, but, you know, they have the whole issue of him being one side, like, him being left-handed and Giroud being right-handed. Like, I mean, I would still like to see them try the two defensemen, but God knows that that's not going to happen. And look, there is kind of a problem with the scheme. Like, it does have to fall on Terry at some point, and obviously there has been issues on that front. But this isn't like they have, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs at their disposal and, like, Terry is just, like, fucking single-handedly destroying any opportunity they have to succeed on the power play. Like, aside from Claude Giroux and a few defensemen, I don't really know if they have any, like, elite power play forwards or even players for that matter. Yeah, and Mike and I were talking about this on Twitter during the last game. You know, like, they're not being coached Listen, you can think of Terry and whatever you want. I'm not a particular fan of the guy, but they're not being coached to lose board battles and fail to even enter the zone. Like, I guarantee you that's not what Terry is telling them in practice. You know, to some extent, this does fall on the players' just inability to, to control anything, you know, to even get set up most nights, which has been the problem lately, is... is you know, it's hard to tell what Terrian's scheme even is because they can't even get into the fucking zone to get set up. And that's a problem, you know, but that's not necessarily a problem on the coaching staff. And this is, again, I don't want to absolve Terrian. I don't like the guy. You should have fired him, you know, probably last summer if you were smart. But it's not all on his shoulders either. Like, I think a fair a bit of this is the the true lack of personnel you have on your power play units right now. And that's what it comes down to in a lot of ways is like you could get a better power play coach in there like you pointed out. Bring Joe Mullen back. Yeah, exactly. But like (laughs) here's the thing is that like if the power play – if they got a new power play coach in there, like do we think that it's going to be like a top 10 unit all of a sudden? Like no. It'll probably get to like a respectable level. And like maybe that that causes a trickle-down effect. But it's just there are still big flaws on this roster. And that's why, like, if you want to fire Vigneault, go ahead. I don't care. But if that's, like, your ace in the hole to turn this season around, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because here's the thing. I, like you said, you're not a betting man, but you would put a decent amount of money on Mike Yo being the next head coach, even if it's in an interim capacity. Yep. And I would bet the same thing. 
And Mike Yo doesn't exactly have a winning track record as a head coach. Like, people forget this, but he was the the last fall guy to go down in St. Louis before they went on their cup run, what was it, three years ago at this point. So, I mean, I, I'm not really... And I love Mike Yo. I've spoken to him a few times. Really good guy. He's always been so generous, you know, like, giving his time to talk to me. But if I'm speaking objectively here, he's not a guy that I'm inching to get in power behind the bench. No. I think he's done exceptionally well with, you know, the defense and the PK this year. But, I mean, given, you know, the talent at his disposal without Ryan Ellis. But, I mean, it's just... And it's like you said, it's not me trying to absolve AV and Terry from blame. And like you said, Terry should have been gone last summer. But it's just like there's so many bigger fish to fry that I yeah. can't get yep. there yet. Exactly. And, and Yao, you know, there's no way Fletcher passes up the opportunity to put Mike Yao <laughs> behind the bench. There's no way. Just I, I, I'm not a bet. Like I said, I'm not a betting man. I don't gamble on sports, but that would be the one bet I would take. Is whoever the hell, whether it's right now, today, or tomorrow, or six months from now, next season, Yao is the fucking next head coach of the Flyers, and and, and he may be a nice guy, but sweet Jesus, I don't want that. Um, you know that 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 that's not an improvement over Lane Vio, and and I don't have many qualms with Yao. I think for what he's responsible for right now, he's fine. The the heat is on is is on Terry and, and to a lesser extent Vigneault right now. So. I don't know. You just gotta, you just gotta deal with it. And, and like, I don't know, the, the the injuries and the favoritism of players from the fan base really make being able to, you know, analyze this team objectively incredibly difficult, right? You know, you, of course nobody's gonna. I don't think I've even heard Joel Ferry's name from anybody on Flyers Twitter criticizing him right now, and it's like, he's a big reason why your offense is boosting. I had this guy down to score 30 fucking goals this year, and he's got, like, one. <laughs> it's just your your lack of offense on this team, regardless of whatever it is, is the problem right now. I do think, and, you know, Fletcher did a good job, and he took this team in the right direction, and he built up some of their weakest points, which was their defense, but, you know, he just could not address it all in one year, and, you know, if there was no salary cap problems if he had a little bit more you know money at his disposal I'm sure he would have addressed a little bit more up front but you know I I, I was I was big on the Sam Reinhardt train this summer and even if it wasn't Reinhardt like some kind of legitimate center depth and the fact that he didn't address that seemed like a problem at the time and it took all of you know three or four games before it became a serious problem again so that was clearly an oversight by Fletcher and and you know hopefully when the trade deadline does come around they do look at you know, whoever it is, whether it's Miller or Hurdle or anybody else to to try and find a legitimate center to come in and help this team. But I do think right now, in November, you know, November 23rd, all they can kind of do right now is tread water. And you have Morgan Frost in, and I don't know why he's not up. But, um, you know, all, all you can do right now is just continue to hope this team plays well enough to at least keep their head above water, that Carter Hart can playing at these, you know, borderline elite levels and keep them in it every night and hope that whatever trickle of offense you do have is enough to at least, you know, get you some points out of this stretch coming up here. Well, and that's the other thing is that, you know, you're relying on this elite level goaltending or borderline elite. And look, I do think some people like, you know, they exaggerate a bit on that because if you look at, you know, the other four goalies who round out the top five in the NHL right now in terms of goal or something. (laughs) No, it's actually like Bobrovsky's the best goalie. Then you have a guy like Jack Campbell, Frederick Anderson, Jacob Markstrom. Like it isn't a, 
it isn't like a foreign concept that really good goaltending results into very good play. You know what I mean? Like every top tier team gets very good to elite level goaltending. Yeah. So I don't really think that you should, we should be apologetic that the Flyers are, you know, getting this good goaltending because it really goes hand in hand, but you can't solely be relying on him. And I felt that early on in the season, right up until that, you know, that Toronto game, they were not solely relying on their goaltending. But now it's gotten to the point where unless they get that elite level goaltending, they're, de- they're, you know, they're dead in the water. And we saw that against the Boston Bruins. Like, I don't put that game on Jones by any stretch, but I don't think he was particularly great. Maybe no. a goal or two you'd like to have back. But, you know, there should be games where you should be able to overcome that. Like the Flyers did in salvaging a point against the uh, the Calgary was it Calgary in the shootout or Tampa? It was a uh, uh, Tampa. Tampa. There you go. So like I I thought it was so good for that group that they were able to you know bail out Hart for letting in a banana there because sometimes you have to do that. But when I it's just you look at this team up front and when you l- try and analyze it objectively. Even if Hayes and Ellis were there, like how much better? Well, they would be a lot better, but they're still not a cup team. And then you take out arguably their best defenseman and their second most important forward or third most important forward. And, you know, that plummets a team. And I guess I'll spin it to you there is like, do you think that we would have be having a very different conversation if Kevin Hayes and Ryan Ellis were healthy? Yeah, I, you know, especially Ellis. Um, you know, Hayes, Hayes took a lot of shit last year and I'm not entirely sure why, you know, he was ultimately injured and, and, you know, got the surgery in the off season, but you know, he is responsible for eating every single heavy minute that Sean Couturier cannot. And he's not the biggest offensive guy. He's not the overall best defensive guy, but he plays well enough overall that he's incredibly important for what he does. And, the fact that he's not here and you have no centers to truly step into that 2C role has hurt them tremendously. It hurts everything, you know, especially since you put so much money on the wings. You know, you have nobody in the middle to dish to them, uh, which has been a problem. And Ellis, you know, I, I do think the top four has held their own defensively very well this year, all things considered. But you're playing Braun in too heavy uh, he's just playing too heavy minutes at this point in his career. And we saw this happen last year as well, where he was very good, but he's just not a top guy that can eat, you know, 25 to 30 minutes of ice time a night anymore. You know, he was best served on the third pair where he can play very well in lesser minutes and try and buoy Keith Yandel, whereas Ellis can handle those big heavy minutes and he plays well with Provorov. Like, it just centers everything out and everything's all screwed up on the on the back end right now. So those are two key injuries on top of everything else. And by the way, James Reimer, uh, 187 goals against, 940 save percentage in 10 games with the Sharks this year. What? But, uh... <laughs> I've always liked Optimus Rhyme. Holy Jesus. <laughs> but, uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on here, uh before we go away is some of the injuries uh, in Lehigh. And you put out a thread yesterday um, with a guy that was very critical of the Flyers using Tyson Forrester in the AHL versus sending him back to juniors. And I, I really enjoy me some Tyson Forrester. I think this is a guy that 
it is not like me to hype up prospects. If you followed my uh, career at this point, you know I do not buy into the hype the hype of certain prospects. Forster is one of those few guys that I'm making an exception for. Um, he's very very good, and the thing is, is he's had three major injuries during his year and a half in Lehigh or whatever it's been. But the first one was a completely fluky thing where somebody slid into his legs and he got fucked up. Like, that could happen anywhere. The second one was a shoulder injury reminiscent of the Brandon Manick and McDavid, you know, scenario there, uh, which I believe he separated his collarbone, uh, which was late last season. And this one was another shoulder injury that he's going to be out probably for the rest of the year. And, you know... Injuries can happen in juniors. You know, you look at somebody like Pascal Laberge who had a concussion that ruined his career before it even started. You know, it's not impossible to get hurt down there. And these injuries are not happening because he's not physically mature. I mean, the guy is 6'2", 194. He's listed at... That's bigger than me! That's bigger than me by substantial <laughs> margins at this point. Like... He's a big dude, and as somebody who's seen him live quite a few times, I will never forget the first time I saw him on TV last year, because there were no fans in the building. They were in a board battle, and the puck got out, and he stood up. You know, he was hunched over, as with everybody else, and they all stood up, and he's just as tall as everyone else. And I was baffled, because he's got the face of, like, a 12-year-old boy. So in my mind, he's, like, 5'8", you know. But I looked it up, he's 6'2". I mean, this guy is big fucking dude, and... When you see him in person, you can tell he's a big fucking dude. And I don't think it was his... You know, somebody like Samu Tuamala, who's, you know, 5'7 and 130 pounds, you know, it was pretty fucking clear that he wasn't ready to hang in the AHL level in the very short amount of time he did get. He's noticeably small on the ice. He may have the talent, but he's not there. I think Forrester has the talent and the body to hang in the big leagues. And overall, at the end of the day, it sucks that he got hurt, and it sucks he's going to be out for the season. But... In terms of experience for his NHL future, I think this year and a half is going to help tremendously um, in the AHL versus just putting him down in juniors where he's going to rack up, you know, 200 points in 50 games and, you know, the numbers are going to look great, but he's ultimately not prepared for the big leagues. I think his time in the AHL is going to help tremendously um, regardless of the injuries, and it's unfortunate, but I I don't think it's because he wasn't physically ready to play in the league. Well, look, that that thread I put out, was not my words and a lot of it I disagreed with but someone reached out to me who's a source from outside the Flyers organization and wanted me to put that out there so I did and look I always defer when it comes to development and prospects just because I don't pretend to watch all these games or be a guru when it comes to development like I think that's some of the most disingenuous things that a lot of you know people who try and cover hockey do is try and become like developmental experts and pretend that you watch all these games because it really is such like a nuanced thing but i will defer to a guy like you who goes and watches these games all the time in lehigh and you've often said that he aside from the injuries has been very impressive and he is a really big guy so I mean, I was kind of not so much in agreement with what my source told me, but I mean, it does, I guess, kind of beg the question of, will they do this with other guys? Like, when Zade Wisdom comes back, like, will he go back to junior? I'm like, pretty is sure Wisdom he's going a... back to juniors. I don't think that's like, been officially this... confirmed yet, but I believe Wisdom himself has hinted on, an, on his Instagram multiple times that he is heading back to Kingston when the time comes. 
Which, I mean, I think in most cases, it's probably the best case. And, like, yeah. again, I'll defer to you. Like, in the case of Wisdom, do you think he should go back? At this point, he may as well. You know, for the purpose of rehabbing and getting the, the experience down there helps versus trying to come back in, in the, the, the men's league. And, you know, he's you know uh, he's listed at 5'10", 200, which still isn't that bad. It's a pretty solid guy. But, you know, I think he could hang in the AHL if he really wanted to. But at this point, because he's coming back from his injury, kind of rehabbing from that and, and you know, working his way back up to full time, he's better served in juniors. And, like, in the case of Forster, like, do you think that there was any cons to keeping him up here, you know, injuries aside? I don't think so. You know, the only thing you can really make the argument for is that the Phantoms' offense was piss poor, and putting him in juniors would at least give him the opportunity to score a little bit more. But from an overall picture, in terms of preparing this guy for a career in the NHL, I will just about guarantee that everything he has learned, all the adversities he uh, has overcome, injuries aside, you know, just learning the overall pace of the game, is much better suited in the AHL. And not every it doesn't work for everybody. You know, I'm not saying every prospect that could be drafted should immediately go into the AHL because I don't think that's necessarily the case. But I do think there are guys, you know, the, those quad A guys that are too good for juniors but not quite good enough for the NHL. And they don't come around every day. But every once in a while there are the guys that it serves them better for their careers to get time at the AHL. And the injury is unfortunate and it sucks that Forster's going to be out for the rest of the year. But, you know, as far as developing goes, he was best served in the AHL. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I want to swing it back to the NHL for a second because you briefly touched upon the Ellis and Hayes thing. And one of the, I guess, arguments to keeping the coaching staff around would be that, again, this year, they haven't really given Vigneault a chance. And I'm not saying that this is what I believe. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate as for a reason as to why they may choose to stick with Vigneault, is that, again, we've run into a, a situation where Vigneault is not given a chance with Ryan Ellis in the lineup and Kevin Hayes in the lineup and a lot of people who point out that oh this is very similar to the team last year like well yeah their biggest offseason acquisition has barely played you know Ryan Ellis was far and away the team's biggest acquisition you know you can make the case again that he's their best defenseman so do you think any of that could be playing into Fletcher's decision on into hanging on to Vigneault and by extension Terry because he still is kind of thinking like well, this guy still hasn't been given a fair kick at the can with the roster that he was supposed to have. It could. I'm sure that's part of it from from Fletcher's perspective. Um, uh, if anything, I'm sure Fletcher's probably feeling the heat more than Vigneault is just because of this offseason. You know, this was his – Ellis was the, the key piece he brought in, and now he's MIA. And, you know, Hayes was probably the biggest acquisition he's made overall in his uh, time as GM, and he's not playing. So – you know, I, I, that probably, I would assume, plays a role in, in Fletcher evaluating where they stand with AV is just the fact that he hasn't had a healthy roster. You know, if this team was at 100% and playing the 500 mediocre hockey they are, maybe it's a different story right now. But, you know, just the overwhelming amount of injuries that this organization has had to deal with right now, even guys like Wade Allison, you know, missing somebody yeah. like that is huge uh, for, for this current Flyers squad, so... Yeah, I would assume the you know the the overall injury factor here um, does uh, does play a role in the fact that AV probably is not on the hot seat at the moment. 
with hindsight being 2020, would you have signed Kevin Hayes two and a half years ago? Yes, but not to the bonafide two C contract that he got. Um, and I, I, you know, I realized at the time he was, you know, the top center available, and they didn't have much of a choice if they really wanted to sign the guy. But I think this is a guy that, you know, if he was much like JVR, if he was making like five million dollars, like I don't think people would care nearly as much. But the fact that you invested. Seven point one million dollars every year until twenty twenty six for a guy as your two C, and he is nowhere to be seen right now. And spent all of last year very injured, you know. Even though he was playing, like you certainly haven't gotten the best out of Kevin Hayes yet. But you know, we did see for that brief stint in nineteen twenty, like this guy is very very good when he's at his peak and healthy. But you know, unfortunately, we just we just have not seen that uh, through most of his tenure in Philadelphia at this point. My argument is, and, you know, I've said numerous times that, and I've even said it on the show today, that I still do think the best course of action was for a full Scorched Earth rebuild. But I think that we all kind of got the hint that that was off the table for ownership. So what I'm saying is that, like, if you had to contend, you kind of had to sign Kevin Hayes. Because imagine where this team would be without Kevin Hayes and you're trying to you know, be a competitive squad. They have nothing down the middle. We're seeing what this so... team is without Kevin Hayes. <laughs> exactly. So the, I just, and, the, you know, even people saying, like, some people have tried to spin the Ryan Ellis trade as bad. I'm just like, you literally gave up spare parts for him. Like, you know, how could you spin Fucking Phil bad? Myers, who's been a healthy scratch and was a complete fucking disaster last year. And Nolan Patrick is a human piece of shit to, to get him. <laughs> like, that trade... You know, listen, the outcome has not been perfect thus far, but we all knew injury uh, Ellis's injury history going in, and the fact that he was dumb and came back too early and hurt himself isn't fucking great. But from a pure trade perspective, Ryan Ellis, the top defenseman available over the summer, you know, Sons, maybe Dougie Hamilton, like, <laughs> for Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers, I mean, that's a beautiful trade regardless of, of what the outcome has been in terms of the Ellis injury thus far. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing, is that the other thing with Ellis is that when he is healthy, like, his cap hit is very manageable. Like, he makes less than Ivan Provorov. Like, okay, it's a bit long, but I think people don't realize that, like, if he's not playing, it doesn't affect the cap, like, for extended periods of time, but obviously it kind of causes, like, a bit of a conundrum in the way of, like, icing a team like in the off season because all LTIR and all that. But it's just like, if, if he had to contend, I don't know what other moves you would have wanted in a realistic realm, because obviously we could talk about, Oh yeah, you could trade JVR and connect me for Connor McDavid, you know, but in a realistic world, what more could Fletcher have done to make this team competitive? And let's take away the Kevin Hayes signing because that was two and a half years ago at Sam this point. Reinhardt. That's a good point. That's, <sighs> the, you know, that's the one that, you know what, I can't even fucking play devil's advocate there because I was beating that drum as well. But, I mean, I guess for you, though, Dan, if they would have gotten Sam Reinhardt, it would have meant that they weren't getting Ristolainen. Do you think that would have been better? Do you think it would have just been a wash in the end? Like, how do you think that would have played out? Probably a wash. I mean, your forward core would be better, but maybe your defense would be a little worse. 
but uh, you know, I'm sure they could have found somebody on defense that was you know equivalent to Ristolainen on the right side. Um, you know, they may. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That I <laughs> we need to go back and look at all the you know right-handed defensemen that moved around this year. But I'm sure they could have found somebody that was respectable back there. But you know, hell, you already made a gigantic trade with Buffalo. You could have just fucking got his rights. And I realize the, the, the cap implication is, I think, were the reason they ultimately didn't try and go after Reinhardt. But, like, fuck, he made a gigantic trade with Buffalo. What the fuck would have been an extra, you know, second-round pick to throw in there and grab Reinhardt's rights? Just, God, I was fucking, I was so in on that guy over the summer. And, like, now you look back here and what's the one thing they need right now is a fucking middle six center, you know? And, and Reinhardt yeah. was there for the taking and you didn't do it. And, uh, I get, I get, I understand why they didn't, but in the, with the benefit of hindsight, like, man, this was a guy that uh, could have solved a lot of problems right now. And the other thing is, is that I think that Travis Konechny is a guy that maybe you would try to flip him one for one for, Yeah, you know, you save a cup of draft currency and then that makes the cap work, give or take, (laughs) you know, Reinhardt makes a million bucks more, but I'm sure they could have found a way to shave off a million here or there. And I mean, I guess in Travis Konechny, like when you, when you and I were like debating with idiots who like, you know, try to portray him as God's gift to, you know, right wing. It was never to say that he was bad. He is what he is. And in terms of what he's making, he's playing well. He's producing well. But it's just that this team needs so much more than a Travis Konechny or Joel Farabee or Cam Atkinson or an Oscar Lindblom. It's like all of these guys are like in the same tier. And they're missing that one piece that even if it's a winger, but just a dynamic winger that could do everything all on his own, that, like, I don't know why everyone's so married to these players. And even a guy like Joel Farabee, like, I love Joel Farabee. But if he's the difference between, you know, making a trade for a Larkin or a Hurdle or not, I'm not thinking twice about it. You know what no, I mean? Like, absolutely. I'm not getting... yeah. Like, Joel Farabee, like, I think he's an excellent player. I think he's going to be a top probably top six guy for a long time in this league, probably become a top line winger, but it's just right now. He's just another guy. He's just another 20 goal scorer, middle six winger, you know, with a little bit of upside and I'm sure he's going to be very good in the future. Like I don't doubt that for a second, but he's not that guy yet. And he may never be that guy. You know, you can cash out on him. Why his value is still high versus having the Travis Konechny effect of just pretending this guy is going to be a 50 goal scorer at some point down the line. And it never happens. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's just like, I'm so sick of, you know, you they've been burned so many times. Yes. With like, for years. Trying, yeah, they've been burned with like the Morgan Frost, the Nolan Patricks, the Travis Konechny's, like all these guys and now kind of Joel Farabee, but I wouldn't say burned, but like in the sense of trying to be like, oh, this is the guy, he's the, he's the heir to Claude Giroux or the heir to Sean Couturier, but it's like, they don't have that coming anywhere. Like maybe Tyson Forster could be that goal scorer like two years down the line. They got Elliot like... Denoyer though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just I don't know how. I don't know after he... all these fucking years we can still sit here and get hyped up about prospects. Haven't we been like fucked over enough by this shit, pretending that every next guy is the savior and they never are? How are we not tired of this yet? And, like, look, I'm not saying that it never works, and I do think had they done the rebuild properly, they would have come out with one of those star players. Like, look at all the guys that got drafted between 2015 and 2018, and they fucking wind up with Nolan Patrick, you know what I mean? Like, 
But when you go through a full scorched earth, or not even a scorched earth, when you go through a rebuild like the Flyers did, and you walk away with Travis Konechny as your best forward, like, that's botched. A hundred percent. Like, that is a failed rebuild. And you could say, yeah, well, they got Carter Hart. Yeah, they got Ivan Provorov. Yeah, that's true. And they fixed the goaltending and, I guess, kind of fixed the defense for the foreseeable future. But not even really, because they had to go and fucking trade for Ellis and Ristolainen and Justin Braun and Matt Niskanen two years ago. So, but, like, you pissed away a very good offensive group. And I don't think people realize how good... Giroux, Couturier, Shen, Simmons, Voracek were in 2014, 2015, like that era. And you're now coming out of it on the back end with guys like Farabee and Konechny and Limblom. No better than you were when you started. Well, that's the thing, that you've basically flipped the script. Now you theoretically are solid in net and solid on the back end, but your forwards are a disaster. And you know what? Whatever. That's fine. And I still do think that you have some value. You have some trade currency here in guys like Farabee and and Konechny and Oscar Lindblom. Guys that a lot of teams will be like, oh, yeah, he's a solid middle six forward with cost certainty. Yeah, let, let me take a stab at him. But nobody wants to trade these guys. Like, and I'm talking about fans because they're married to this thought process that, oh, these were the crown jewels of our rebuild. We can't let them go. But in reality, you're not going to win anything. Like, I forget who said it on Twitter, but, like, guys like Giroux and Sean Couturier should be playing the roles of, like, Anthony Sorelli and Steven Stamkos on Tampa Bay. Yeah. Like, second-line, you know, insulation forwards. But they brought up guys like Point and Kucherov to, you know— you know, take over for the Stamkoses and let's say the St. Louis of the world five, six years ago. And I know that the Flyers did not draft a guy like Kucherov or Point, but then you have to use what you have at your disposal to go get someone like that. Like, people don't realize, but look, I think that this team is better with Hayes and Ellis. And I still do maintain that if they were fully healthy, they would be in the tier right under the elite forwards, or the elite teams in the NHL, just because I think Hayes and Ellis are that fucking important to this group. But you are going nowhere when your top scoring line features Couturier and Claude Giroux in a playoff series. It's not going to happen. Could you imagine them going head-to-head with even, let's say, like the Toronto Maple Leafs one-on-one? Like, okay, I know everyone's going to say, like, oh, Toronto's botched, like, five years in a row in the first round. But could you imagine, like, Katori and Giroux going up against, like, Marner and Matthews? It's uh, not pretty at this point. Like, it's... And I guess it's also because I don't think that they're as far off as they were last year. Like, I think... Do you still maintain that, like, they could theoretically get to, like, a cup contender status, assuming they're all healthy? Yeah. And that's what frustrates me because, like, they're so close yet so far. Yep. One bit of news here before we wrap it up. Wade Allison is indeed practicing with the Phantoms right now. Oh, shit. That is encouraging. Good news. I believe they had him two, three weeks before he's back on the ice playing full time. And then hopefully he'll be, you know, a couple weeks of ice time with the Phantoms. Hopefully they call him up sometime after Christmas. So good to see you. But we are well over an hour at this point. So uh, yeah. at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Uh, check out the website, all kinds of stuff up there as well. Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? 
uh, A DeMarco 25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.